Hello and thank you for tuning in to this week's history episode of Bite Size Cybercrime, the podcast where we discuss cybercrimes, malware, and all things cybersecurity. Today I'm going to tell you about a historical piece of malware, one written simply to see if it could be done, which resulted in the first felony conviction under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. This is the history of the Morris Worm. The Morris Worm was written by a graduate student at Cornell University, Robert Tappan Morris, in 1988, who, as I mentioned, simply wanted to see if such a thing could be done. This wasn't the first ever malware per se, but it was the first worm and the first malware to do some widespread damage. A worm is a type of malware that is able to replicate and spread itself to other systems without the intervention of the user of a computer. Worms can spread over networks, or also very commonly through emails. The Morris Worm targeted Unix operating systems and had four methods of spreading itself, including vulnerabilities in the Send Mail program, which as the name implies allows the worm to transfer itself via email, a buffer overflow error in the network service called Finger, which allowed the worm to identify and spread to other machines on the same network, and it also exploited no password remote logins, which yes, that did exist a lot more frequently than they do now. However, for machines that were password protected, the worm was also capable of guessing those passwords to log in via brute force methods, or really just trying every possible combination until something worked. These four methods of allowing the worm to spread on a network made it spread like wildfire through MIT where it was released. Morris, the man, not the worm, hoped that by releasing it into MIT's network that they would not trace it back to Cornell. As you can probably guess, this did not work out as initially intended, and that is a reoccurring theme with this worm. The worm wasn't directly destructive like most malware today. It didn't encrypt your files and demand a ransom, it didn't delete your data, and it wasn't even a very big file. So what was the big deal? Well, it slowed down computers and networks to a crawl due to all the data being transferred as it was replicating, due to the rapid pace at which it was capable of doing so. So little work could be done on infected machines and networks. As a method to limit the speed, Morris was supposed to not infect the same machine twice. But yet again, this is a thing that did not turn out as planned. See, Morris, again the man, not the worm, programmed the worm not to infect already infected computers, but he thought to himself, hmm, what if sysadmins just make computers report a false positive so the worm avoids their machine? So he had the worm reinfect the machine no matter what, 14% of the time, which led to reinfections that probably made things significantly worse, as 14% may not seem like too high of odds, but think about it. This worm was constantly communicating over multiple channels to find a way to infect machines. It's estimated that 6,000 machines were infected by the worm in total, which again doesn't sound like a lot today, but this was in 1988 and there were only around 60,000 computers connected to the internet. So the Morris worm infected about 10% of all machines connected to the internet. Several regional networks had to disconnect from the internet, both to remove the worm from the computers and ensure they would not get reinfected. Morris himself admitted he'd made the program and that it had spiraled completely out of control. In fact, he contacted a friend at Harvard to see if they could figure out a solution, and, well, when they did, they tried to send it out over the internet, but, ironically, because of the worm, very few people ended up actually getting it. 
Their computers were so slow they simply could not receive it or there wasn't enough bandwidth over the network for it to even land at the computers. The same friend ended up calling the New York Times and relaying this information, although he only referred to Morris by his initials. This is actually what ultimately got him caught. After all, there are not a lot of RTMs who are at Cornell. Robert Tappan Morris was indicted for violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and was the first person to be indicted under it. He was sentenced to three years probation, 400 hours of community service, and a $10,000 fine. After his conviction, he returned to Harvard where he got his bachelor's to complete his PhD in applied sciences, and he would then go on to work as an assistant professor at MIT, the very school he released his experimental worm into to wreak havoc and change computer security forever. The Morris worm was a bit of an accident, a little experiment that spread like wildfire due to the way it would infect machines. The internet learned a lot about the potential of malware and a lesson that the internet was not built to be secure. It was a humble but important part of cybersecurity history, and I hope you enjoyed hearing about it. My name is Chloe Tonus, and until next time, stay secure.